0: Well, welcome to the red Share. Today we have a special guest, longtime friend Tom Herrickson from Open Ocean VC, coming from Helsinki. Good to see you, Tom. Welcome you to so Lisbon for having me once Fun. again uh, after so many years that we've been, you know, looking at things together. Tell me, who who are you? What have you been doing in the last few decades? You've done incredible stuff, and you're a VC now, but mm. you you've done way more in the past as well.
1: Decades indeed when you say <laughs> it. oh my goodness. So if if I I will stay very briefly in the 90s So when I had um, you know studied in the early 90s believe it or not like uh, me like me like <laughs> you like you I, I don't think At that time anybody wanted to be a venture capitalist right I mean nowadays maybe some people in Stanford when they grow up they actually want
0: to be VCs I didn't even know that this existed right
1: exactly (laughs) and maybe some children of European VCs actually think that it could be cool but probably not probably Probably not. not so so definitely nobody ever had heard about venture capital but during my MBA I actually did a project for the only VC in Finland this was in 1995 Oh, interesting mm-hmm. and and I did a market analysis of actually software businesses which we will
0: get so, back. But to. there was already a VC in Helsinki well it was a,
1: it was a, a I think they were still a government organization at that time right. but then privatized later okay so but but it was interesting because I got this insight to you know software startups and what is, what is all this thing and why is he investing in them and, and what's the whole whole idea didn't think much more about it because I had done some management consulting before my MBA and my MBA I focused completely on becoming again a management consultant, a strategy consultant. But then um, during my MBA, I actually did some startup projects with a couple of friends company who were focusing on helping startups go international. So I did a couple of those projects with them. then I ended up not taking the offers from the consulting firms, but actually going into one of my customers to be the export manager of this company.
0: So we actually have more things in common, because during my MBA, I did all I could to not go back to consulting. And I did not take the offers after the consulting <laughs> Well, at least
1: we both didn't take the offers. I guess that's why we're sitting offers.
0: here. And, and I also found out during my MBA that I wanted to be a VC. That's right. And I specialized quite a lot in it. But it it was a few years later, not many, but, you know, a good few years later.
1: Okay. Similarities. This this we haven't even talked about before. No. Interesting. So, uh, and then I was at this, I mean, Finnish technology startup, not software, but hardware. And they were the classical, I would call it European tech startup in the 90s, all about product and tech, very little about marketing and sales. I can't say I was able to contribute a lot, so I stayed there for a very short time and joined then back uh, with my two friends who had this startup consultancy where we at some point started helping our interesting clients raise funding from, among others, venture capitalists.
0: And where and were those venture capitalists that you worked, so the, right?
1: well they were they were mainly local ones but let's say northern European and there there weren't that many but there were some Not that many yeah you know I, I remember one who actually never invested in our uh, startups but one that we had frequent dialogues with I'm sure you will remember them Alta Barclay yes that course. they were they were a hot one in the 90s yes. in, in London right mm-hmm. so We did that and had so many good clients that we actually managed to make a little bit of profit in our business, which we then decided to start investing in startups ourselves. Mm -hmm. So first we set up... Which year was this? So 1999, we set up initially, and obviously these were the the first maybe venture capital boom, or at least in in, in the more modern history and in Europe indeed. We set up a, a, I think it was a 1 million euro fund, that made four investments and here i learned in practice i had read in my my mba about portfolio theory but here i learned in practice because over a few years we actually lost all those companies right okay. so the profits from the firm went into that fund and nothing came out of it
0: however lessons learned
1: less very good lesson <laughs> the second fund and you'll see it in the in the second fund because at the same time as we were practicing doing this we set up the structures for having a fund Mm. so then we raised an external uh, fund which was 52 million fin about 9 million euros uh, with some semi-institutions and lots of privates and that fund was the one that invested among others in mysql which is actually my link to the mysql and open ocean stories yes which we can come to
0: can you remind us what was you know MySQL, how did it start? You know, it, it changed. It had a dramatic effect in, in tech in general and in, in certainly did. in the European tech.
1: It did, yes. So, so MySQL was, you could say, started by our partner, who's nowadays a partner, Emeritus Montevidenius, who uh, developed the open source database. Or developed the database that was a very efficiently packaged one so that he actually could uh, develop it over the internet with some other people in his small small which, initial which community year
0: did mySQL start Do you remember
1: this is a good question I mean when did he actually start start developing it or when was, did you invest was early, in uh, well so he started developing it early 90s 95 96 it started to have quite a, a community following and so on and but so monty together with two swedish people then actually set up mysql ab the company so it became a swedish company with the core developer monty in finland
0: and then so despite the rivalry between finland and sweden despite
1: our love-hate relationship we we collaborated nicely nicely here and and then um, monty used to play squash with another open ocean partner ralph they had studied together and when they played squash or maybe after they had played squash each time they would talk about the potential business of an open source software model. Because Monty had a quite large community of of, uh, people who were helping develop the product and people who were using the product in their stacks
0: right yeah and open source was kind of starting to become a thing right late 90s
1: late 90s yeah. yes and and some people actually would send monthly checks dollar bills and checks to keep the good work going right
0: this is a bit uh, like um, the, the the decentralized thing nowadays right or in the last few years it's kind of Indeed. like a, a new a new way of looking at things The descent like at the time the open source as opposed yep. to the closed source uh, software right yeah.
1: and of course the whole open source movement has completely
0: changed, exploded since, since
1: right and, and changed all the it infrastructure of large companies and all the internet giants and so on but coming back and not wanting to stay too long here but so when they played uh, squash they toyed with the idea of can you make money on an open source company and mysql then ended up uh, and ralph invested in mysql as the angel And then MySQL was the first open source business to actually monetize with the dual licensing scheme. So they figured out how you do that, how you make the enterprise pay so that the enterprise doesn't come under the open source rules when they include the software in their solution. And and, uh, then it started taking off. Then in late 2000 they came to our venture capital firm and they had just uh, agreed to hire Morte Mikos, an amazing uh, guy, as the CEO. And the three of them came to our, our office. And fortunately, we thought, you know, there's a future in that. And we, we actually determined in our internal analysis that it might even become a hundred billion, a hundred million dollar valued company, which one? obviously it became then in 2008, a billion dollar valued yes, company. Yes. But we couldn't see that far in 2000, no, course, 2001. And we invested in it, and then uh, the business really took off. And and MySQL had, of course, uh, I think, up to a hundred million or so, so downloads uh, by by the time of the exit, and it was very very popular. And the internet, first generation of internet, was kind of built on MySQL as a part of the Lamp stack.
0: For sure. How was the exit? When did the exit happen? And and uh, how, how how was so, it done?
1: So thousand and eight uh, to Sun Microsystems, uh, and it was an inbound from Sun, who had quite a big portfolio of open source solutions in 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 their offering. Um, so that was great, and it was just before the bad times of two thousand and eight started, right? So 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 uh, su- suitably lucky lucky timing there. Um, However, then if you recall, Oracle bought Sun. That's right. And Oracle started constricting what you can do with MySQL. Hmm. So that, and we can talk uh, later about it further, but that actually was the impetus for starting the successor to MySQL, MariaDB. Oh. So so then uh Ralph Monty and Patrick who had been hired by Ralph into MySQL and ended up on the management team. So they started in 2010 MariaDB because there was a void in the market looking for a very open, great SQL open source database.
0: Precisely. And so you had that exit you were still at the time with your fund or how did it happen
1: good good question no actually there was uh, a lot of things happened so when 2001 I invested in MySQL. Uh, same year we actually sold our business to an investment bank mm-hmm. which was gonna go public and didn't and then we eventually exited that investment bank and then I spent nine years at Nokia Mm. which was amazing very fortunate for me because Nokia was a truly global company I learned a lot about management and leadership and international business during those nine years
0: so you think it's actually useful for you know for many entrepreneurs to have gone through you know a a good solid big business to learn some of the processes or not
1: it's a good question depends
0: a bit on the individual or you think that's better for a VC
1: Probably better on average for a VC, but depends on, on the individual. I mean, my, my uh, focus within Nokia was never with the handset, big handset no. business, though. I was on the new business uh, area of, of Nokia. And there actually one of my teams started a mobile advertising business, a first generation mobile ad network. And then they convinced me to come and run it. And we grew it from zero to $50 million in revenue in three years including a $150 million acquisition, which I'm sure was not a public figure, but it's now a long time ago. So I think we'll, we'll let that slip. Exactly. Uh, and uh, that, of course, was as a startup and growth experience within a big company cheating, because I had brand and I had money like very few startups do.
0: And the network.
1: And cool. the network. But but it was, of course, an amazing way to see how you can grow something really fast.
0: And there was based, you were based in Finland was based in
1: Finland and after the acquisition in Boston so that was where we bought in in pocket
0: and so then you decided to leave Nokia
1: then I was actually head of corporate business development for a little while I always said when I joined Nokia that I want to get back to VC someday Mm. and this was my you know training ground if if you will and and then uh, Patrick Monty and Ralph had started both OpenOcean as a seed, local seed investor, raising a fund and they had started MariaDB.
0: Which year was this? 2011? So or? this
1: is 2010-ish. Ten. Plus Ten. minus. Plus and
0: minus. what was the status of the sort of the Nordic VC market at the time?
1: Nordic or, or European? Um, I mean very different from now, right? There, When OpenOcean was started and the, the analysis might not have been perfect, but uh, when I joined the board of Open Ocean, there was, for instance, a sentence saying that we know one vC in Germany. okay, there were a few more. But it's uh, you know exaggerating a little bit. It was very different from today, right?
0: Who was this see that you? Knew? <laughs> it's,
1: a, it's a good question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? Maybe, maybe early bird. Early right. bird, right? So. <laughs> That's what I thought it would. Not be.
1: early Bird East yet, and I Not know. Not inter- Interviewing
0: yeah, Cem here. <laughs> That's right. Chem is a good friend, but has his Christian Nagel from early bird. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. So so uh, much less, but of course there were a few. Finland had like a handful, and Sweden had a handful, and so on. So there 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 were a few VCs I think the big difference for us which is kind of reflected in our in our funds as well our first fund was 2011 is that very few entrepreneurs in the first fund are serial entrepreneurs Mm. so Mm. they were first-timers and then it probably takes a bit longer and you make a few more mistakes and and it is it is harder it's a very good fund we ended up I mean it took 11 ish years before the fund got really profitable now it is it's at 3.4 x dpi so very good fund and there's still one good company so so very happy that that uh, that happened but it took much longer than we thought so so because we had seen the MySQL journey and, you know, the world keeps speeding up. So we thought it yes, would go a bit faster.
0: faster, but not necessarily. In
1: in years seven, eight, nine, you could see that there were a few companies that were really at scale. And we ended up at, at now the end with with uh, three companies with 100 to 200 million uh, dollars or euros in, in revenue and profitable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all which had almost no revenue when we started. I mean, clearly below a million and, and, and so on. So we always knew it was going to be good based on the companies. But then at what quantum and when, right. you will only find out time.
0: later. It takes some time. But so it took much longer few, than we thought. There were a few VCs at the time. And what about, you know, the Nordics are always seen as an incredible hotbed for innovation and you know i'd say on par with germany and and the uk has you know the, the driving force of the european tech ecosystem and particularly for fairly small countries in terms of population it's always very impressive why do you think that that yeah. has been the case on the last decade and a half two decades yeah i will
1: qualify that by the way with uh we were founded at open ocean with the premise that great kind of technical software innovation can and will come from anywhere in europe as we are seeing and and we've we've seen that happen right so so we are quite europe democratic democratic in in our view Uh, uh, of course uh, the nordic countries have had a very good education strong in stem fairly high uh, actually investments also by government and and so on into r d and supporting the the research and development of of companies, etc.,
0: etc. So there's, I'm sure, a number of factors that have helped. It's interesting that you mentioned government intervention. Was the government intervention primarily in R and D, or were they doing, say, direct investments in companies?
1: Yeah. So much more in R and D per se. Uh, of course, Finland does have, and we, we've had in every fund we've had uh, Finnish industry investment.
0: In, so investing in funds.
1: So Finnish industry investment, which is uh, uh, government-owned uh, companies privatization proceeds, that are being refunded for, I'm sure, many many purposes, but but through Finnish industry investment, TESI, as they're known primarily into funds but they also do some directs so in certain special situations or areas or and and so on but mainly in funds
0: and you'd say it's more or less the same across the Nordics this has been more or less the case right you know very strong education uh, very innovative um, product-driven founders Ab- absolutely
1: absolutely then of course it's been clusterizing, right I mean you know the whole Porter, good old Porter cluster te- theories and and competitive advantages of of areas and nations and and so on and and I guess it is really true that when you start building competencies and success in some area, it will be a, a self-reinforcing cir- circle or a virtuous circle and and. In the Nordics, I mean, both Sweden and Finland, we obviously have great gaming companies, right? The last 10 plus years has created lots of gaming. First few companies and then lots of talent and now lots lots of companies as, as well. Um, Sweden has often been good in consumer companies. Mm-hmm. Also our biggest win tr- so far, True Color, which uh, was, was the actually the the largest uh, IPO tech IPO in Stockholm ever. Uh, they are a consumer-facing company with some B2B business uh, and under. Uh, but, but Sweden is really good in consumer experiences and services. Uh, and I could go on on the other Nordic countries. I will just finish by saying that in B2B, which we are focused on, The Nordics, and maybe even a little bit leaning more towards Finland, uh, there are a lot of companies that are very good at analytics-related things in various verticals and and areas.
0: And have you found that it was, you know, these founders that were successful in the last 10 years, did they restart new companies? Did they invest directly? Did they invest in funds? Did they launch funds? Well, there's a little bit of everything. All, all of the above, right? All of the above.
1: And of course, a fantastic uh, Nordic, uh, well, Sweden, of course, has has Ek and Spotify, who's an amazing example of a successful entrepreneur who then commits to put lots of money back in the ecosystem. In Finland, we have Supercells, Ilka Pananen and Mikko Kodisoja.
0: I mean, and they've they, done they, all that as well, right? They've, they
1: have a really impressive, very large family office that primarily puts its money to work into startups and venture firms and this ecosystem. So Which I think is wonderful. and because Directly and
0: also in funds, in local and Both. international funds. Both. Both. Yeah.
1: So Supercell, as far as I know, and I'm no expert on Supercell, because I said no to Supercell actually as my first investment case on the table when I joined OpenOcean from Nokia in April 2011. Yes, sir, on Monday, uh, Nenad from TN Capital pinged yes. me that, hey, Tom, great that you're back in venture. Here's a case that I'm, I'm looking at, and I'm very sorry, Nenad, if you hear this, and, and I shouldn't say it. <laughs> and that was super sad, because he knew Ilka from Digital cho- Chocolate before.
0: Nenad is a good friend, so he'll excuse us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we, we hope so. So so uh, And I would need a local co-investor to look at it. I think by Wednesday I said, no, we don't do games. It's not B2B. We have no idea about what makes a game click. so it was the wrong case for us but obviously in a way it would have been a nice one it would be nice (laughs) on the the other hand Axel put in a lot of money at a good term and I don't think Open Ocean would would ever have competed with that even if we would have understood games Anyway, so Ilkka uh, I think he's really like the, the example of how you are proud of the education you, you got, how you're happy to pay taxes back to the country that provided you with a great upbringing and, and base, and then invests actively back into the ecosystem to make more successes happen. I was actually, now I'm on a tangent. Uh, so Supercell, I, if I understand it correctly, does the games investments? They have an, an area which in, uh, a team that invests in games, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the other areas are the ones that that Ilkas and and the others family office
0: but it's a good example right sort of coming back to your country uh, because we see sometimes a lot of founders and sometimes even here in Portugal they'll they'll you know do well but then invest in other countries which is fine as well but I mean you, you should also sort of sort of be grateful to the system that that enabled yes. you to sort of become what what you uh, are. having
1: said that of course somebody like you come I and he has access to, to the invest, whole world so I'm not saying everywhere. they're only investing no, in of finance. course
0: of course invests invest globally right. and yeah. so what is the status today with open ocean and what what are you look for how's the market how you see you invest globally at least all over Europe for sure Uh, what what's your what's your view
1: it's actually similar to the beginnings right I mean we we had done MySQL, and now we've also done the MariaDB story story uh, built built that to scale and and to exit so and and I had my Nokia mobile ad business experience so so you know learning from those uh, the mission is really to help European entrepreneurs complete similar journeys. They're never the same journeys, but no. you can learn some things. And you need to be super agile and 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 adapt adapt a lot because because the markets and 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 everything changes almost constantly nowadays, right? Uh, so same same mission. The the ground is much more fertile. So we look for you know a round uh, European originated data, deep, data-rich B2B software companies that typically have a product on the market. When we started, there were maybe hundreds of those in Europe per year. Nowadays, we see at least 2,500 a year of just such companies, right? So the ground is much richer in volume. There are serial entrepreneurs who've done at least a journey like this before, so they can get more things done more quickly. And there are obviously actually these amazing European stories also in this area, the UiPaths and Colibras and uh, all kinds of companies that actually have shown that you can not only be a European leader, but a global category leader and do something really big, even exit wise. So it's a very, very different market, but we still want to
0: help in a similar way. We, of course, have learned a lot during our venture journey as well. Of course, we all do. And so you're here in Portugal. You've been many times. Uh, we've spoken about many, many opportunities together. What's your view uh, on the Portuguese ecosystem and, on the, and, and also on the Iberian landscape, not only yep. Portugal, but yep. Spain as well?
1: Sadly, we haven't invested yet in Portugal. We have invested once in, in Spain. And, and uh, last year, we were actually very close with a, a computer vision company in Portugal very close not gonna name names here but we we liked it a lot great team uh, great traction great technology but we ended up not investing so we will someday no doubt no doubt Portugal is of course like Finland a fairly small market so it means that you know there won't be tens of $10 $10 billion B2B software companies coming out of Portugal in the short term. But you probably have punched a little bit over above your weight there. You do have a number of really impressive companies here, right? Quite a good Outsistons number of unicorns. and yeah. FeedsEye and oh, uh, you uh, have Unbubble and, and uh, yes. a, a bunch of really nice B2B companies. So I can only say I wish I would have invested in at least one of those.
0: Yes, no, we've been very fortunate. We have quite a few unicorns. Um, six, actually, uh, with an, an Indico imprint. So, after all these years of investing and and, uh, and being close to entrepreneurs, are there things that you think entrepreneurs should really do or not do?
1: Yeah, sure. And I'm sure there's so many, right? <laughs> but I'll try to, to, to just focus on on a couple of ones. The one that always baffles me is... We know it's the same when, when we raise funds from LPs for, yes. for our funds. Uh, you should never cold call them. You should never cold email them. You should always get somebody who they trust to introduce you or somehow get your brand, your, your information ab- above the line, so yes. to say. It's the same with entrepreneurs when they look for money from us if they don't know us if they don't get a warm introduction yes we actually look at everything coming in but the likelihood of picking that one out of the you know 1500 that just come in through through some digital channels is so low so why don't you make sure you get that warm introduction because then i will at least take it very seriously
0: yes it would also show that the entrepreneur has that you know street smarts to actually get there in a special way right exactly
1: and they and will do the same when they get to a customer the right they will open they will the door do to the the same, customer. right
0: i mean i am always baffled when people say oh but the entrepreneurs don't know how to reach you i'm like what do you mean they don't know how to reach me it's just no. you know there's many ways of reaching exactly and there's also many ways of knowing who are the best funds and so on so you, they it's if they don't know it's because they probably I don't. mean in, in the
1: tech world you know the six degrees of separation theory is three degrees
0: Yes, everything is very, it's a small industry at the end of the day. And things that, you know, you've seen very successful entrepreneurs, of course, is there anything they have in common, or several things yeah. they have in common? And that, that one is a really tough
1: one, right? Because if if I knew it, I would I would be a, an, a better investor. And and uh, but in
0: hindsight, and there right. are
1: and there are books that have been written about it, where they from very large data sets try right. to distill that. And I, I actually, just just read a really interesting one by by one of the partners at DCVC, who claims to have the biggest data set of successful companies and companies in general. And uh, one of the myths myths that we hear right is that you should have three or two for instance co-founders he proved in his data set that it's more or less the same likelihood to be successful if you're one two or three founders so you know that that's a hard question one uh, that i think might be true uh, because we we like to find entrepreneurs that are world-class at at least something Often it's technical, but you need to be really good at something. And that, of course, needs to be a part of the essence of your, your company. It, it It is maybe the inspiration and the, the spark for creating that long-term sustainable advantage that your company will have. But you need to be world-class at something. So we invest in these kinds of companies that have these kinds of entrepreneurs. That doesn't mean that you're good at many things or
0: everything right. so you have to have so, that special thing exactly on the section so, so that is
1: one they you know we, we always try to identify that then of course the good entrepreneurs from that beginning quite quickly build off their leadership teams mm-hmm. with complementary skills be it functional be it the blind spots they have be it the stuff they don't know or need to know to succeed in their target market
0: that's even harder to find right and it's People even harder to find. But,
1: but I would claim that at least all are really successful companies. MySQL, MariaDB, our own companies, also my ad business back in the days, which grew fast. Truecaller, some of our other at-scale companies like Supermetrics and Booksy, and so on. They all are quite quickly extremely diverse in experience, background, skills, and so on. So. You know, I hope
0: at least it is it things. is
1: it is the data that proves that, that this is how you should go about it.
0: That's great. Thank you so much for sharing. It was great to see you in Lisbon. I think we're gonna have an amazing dinner. We will. And um, I look forward to that. And I look forward to seeing you in slush in Helsinki.
1: And we will be back in Lisbon. Thank you. I nice see you.